All right, gang, it is the best Tuesday you've had all week, and it is time for the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, joining me in studio today, Matt Dixon. And we are stoked to be here. Man, much is going on in the world, and much of it I feel like I'm hiding under a rock from. Well, you know, you had a little bit of a vacation, right? And that was awesome. So you might feel a little out of tune, but news travels fast, and you're already caught up to speed. We were talking a bunch before the show. It's true. About all the different stuff that's going on in the well, world. Well, I've been at a, even though it's local, I've been uh, at a conference with a group of real estate investors. been very interesting to uh, kind of explore that niche asset class and uh, how these folks are navigating it. Each of them has a different uh, methodology that they are uh, investing in real estate in in different ways, shapes, and forms. So it's 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 very interesting, and mm-hmm. um, very few of them um, were developing large rental portfolios, right? Which I think is the most common thing that you hear about. They many were these, developing. They were not. Oh, they you know, were many not. Many of them okay. were um, either uh, finding fixer upper type properties and flipping them. Some of them were. Um, actually just serving the industry. So it was things like um, helping with online lead generation and, and marketing. Uh, others still were developers. And so it's just very fascinating to see the different ways that people navigate the the real estate environment. Can right? You, like, can you kind of like explain to me some of the theories behind why they weren't necessarily holding the real estate long term it sounds like it was more of a short term flip was there well, a- think of it more like it's their income source right? okay so uh, a somebody that um, owns rental properties oftentimes has a separate income source from the rental properties mm-hmm. the rental properties are a store of value and a way to get a tenant to help pay for the cost of that property it requires capital to control it typically so so form of down payment and then the mortgage and then you've got this tenant or if you own it free and clear then you have all of your capital tied up in that particular property and the tenant may be your yield that's the equivalent yield that you're getting is the rent from the property uh, but your your resources are tied up well a lot of the time these folks are acquiring something and then putting effort into it and then being able to resell it fixed up at a higher price. Mm -hmm. And these are short-term capital gains, right? So, hey, we buy something, fix it up in three months, we're putting it back on the market for profit. And then they, you know, know, profit minus expenses is their margin or the spread. That's appreciation, but it's taxed as ordinary income when it's a short-term capital gain. It's basically their their job. That's their their working income. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't now you do enough of those and you build up enough income that or, or rather. En- yeah. You have enough income, enough cash from the deals that you've you've made money you and spend it all. Then you may start to become picky and choosy about, oh, well, this particular fix and flip doesn't need to be flipped. It's a fix and rent. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can start to expand and, and into different niches within your own real estate portfolio. But and that's just one model. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there, there are different ways that folks do it, but. Uh, learned a lot and really neat folks. So uh, it was very cool. And I know that we got a lot of talk today and it, it is actually very, uh, it's relevant. They're, they're very relevant because mm-hmm. so much of what's uh, playing into the real estate market and also into, we really talked about the rental market, which is just a part of the real estate market at large. Uh, there's a lot of structural things going on in our country in terms mm-hmm. of supply and demand. And then we got a lot of economic things going on in terms of the cost of capital and the availability uh, to 
to get financing and at the cost of it, right? Yeah, you know, it was interesting as we were, well, as I was kind of preparing for the radio show before we got here, I was looking up some interesting statistics, and one of them was actually revolving around the housing market, and it was showing a 100-year look back starting in like 1872, uh, I think it went up to like 1975, so just a little over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And in that period, housing, the the market for housing was flat, right? Like, it didn't really move a whole lot. It wasn't until about 1975 that we saw home prices and real estate become this investment that ballooned and got really huge. Um, so it's weird to think, you know, in this moment in time, we everyone's talking about it, right? Like, real estate, that's the way to um, buy it, hold it, get rich. Right. You've you've heard this many times. You know, I have. Real estate, real estate, I, I, real I estate. Mean, and I guess we're a little hyperbolic. Is everyone talking about it? I don't know. But it's certainly all of the folks that are out there saying, like, you know, here's how you build an empire, right? Mm-hmm. You want to become a billionaire. You got to do it this way. And it's got to be real estate. But, right? yeah, and I just think it's relevant to look back and say, okay, just because that was the trend for the last, you know, 30, 50 years, does that mean it's going to be the trend for the next 100 Hard to say for certain, but I think we could talk about some of the underlying factors that have driven it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've we've seen a real. So I shift. think supply and demand's been the biggest. Supply and demand is pretty population huge. growth. That's where my mind goes to, at least. I look at this and say, well, you know, we had a lot of land back in that time, um, and as the population has grown. Laws have gotten stricter. It's harder to build affordably. Uh, see, I think you're already traipsing into that. Like the supply and demand. I think we've had some some legislative things that have impacted mm-hmm. it. Right. There's still a demand. In fact, we still have more people looking for housing than we have available housing. Right. I think demand's at an all-time high. Yes. And inventory's very, very low. And that's that's happened for a number of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is because rates shot up. Yeah. And so what what that what happens when rates shoot up is two things. One, it's much more expensive for a new person to get into a home. Mm-hmm. So new home ownership costs more. Uh, but also, if you have a low cost mortgage, do you want to sell? Because then what are you going to do? Get into a high cost environment somewhere else? This is that feeling of being trapped, right? It's when I use the term structural, right? That's mm-hmm. that's an example of saying where you've, you've got this problem that's almost mechanical in nature, right. right? The structural problems of our economy are that you've got, you've secured low cost financing and you have a home. If you were to sell your home, there's nothing else available for you in the same price environment to move to. So there's no mm-hmm. lateral option, right? which puts you into a pickle, right? Unless you have additional resources to throw at housing, you're perhaps better off not moving at all. But then that keeps the inventory low. Well, and there's also kind of the flip side of this where someone tries to argue in, in saying, well, as we see prices come down a little bit and the interest rates are high, if I can buy now, maybe I can refinance in the future at a lower rate if rates do come yeah. down. Well, and, and I guess here'd be the question, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're, so first of all, you're a homeowner, right? I am, yeah. Okay, I spilled out beans on the air. Uh, but, and and we've talked about, like, you're kind of in the market, too. Sure, right? yeah. So when you personally, now I, I realize that not everybody's Matt, right? So Matt's got his own unique considerations here, but with a growing family, uh, so you're you're shopping right now. Sure. What are things that you think about as a potential home buyer right oh, now? Man, it comes back to a lot of what we just talked about. Like, I'll disclose it. I think I'm financed at 2.6%. Yeah, so fantastic rate. Super, right. super low capital. And I don't owe a lot on my mortgage. Mm-hmm. So 
here I am in this situation of do I want to give up the cheap money and then go into buying a house where now the home prices have gone up considerably since when I bought. Do I want to shoulder a larger mortgage for that extra space or maybe the nicer house? And I have to weigh that out and say, what are the benefits? Yeah, I have more space. I have the nicer house. But is it worth adding 18 years to my loan at 8%? Right. And what am I giving up in well, order so to get let's, that? Let's ask the question then. How would you mm -hmm. look at your own question of, is it worth it? What are some of the things that you think go into that question well, of, is it worth yeah, it? Yeah, so part of it, you got to look at how much discretionary income do you have, right? Like how much meat is there um, on the table after you've already had your dinner? So, um, you know, what do you have left over? Um, that's one of the big pieces I feel like. And then saying, you know, okay, if I'm comfortable with buying this house, that's more money. Am I comfortable giving up the fluff? Right? Because you want to be able to have some discretionary income. You don't want to max yourself out to where your home broke. All of your money yeah. goes into the home. And so well, we, I, we did that early, by the way, back yeah. in 2008. We, oh, and we your, your timing poor. was horrible. It was. We moved in yeah. December of 05, not to sh hijack your story, no, but no, just no. to totally affirm what you're talking about. So we figured, well, two years, and then we can go ahead and move into something else. This will be our starter home. And then everything was going up in value, and we were just happy to get in because I was worried I would never get in at the price That's of escalation. That's how I was at the time, too. And so uh, we get into a place, and... It shoots up in value, and on paper, we're like, wow, that's amazing. Look at that. And then it just craters to below what we paid for it. And our two-year home plan turned into 12 years staying in the same place. And when mm -hmm. we left, yeah, and I am happy to say the silver lining is like, we're okay. right? Like, you know, There are other financial things that are working. Now we've also been able to invest in real estate, and it's worked out. But we just had this lost decade where real estate was an absolute disaster. Did you feel trapped? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, a funny story, but back in the day, we got interviewed on CNBC. So um, I'm trying to remember the. the what do you mean that, by we? Was Heather it? and I. Oh, my both wife the and two I, of you? We okay. actually, they did like a little mini feature. We got connected by one of the uh, mortgage brokers in town. And um, it's Diane someone, but she does all the real estate stuff. Okay. Anyway, we, we did an interview with her and saying, well, what do you do here? And it was like, well, I remember just saying how frustrating it was because. As a financial professional, like there, you can't have a bankruptcy or a foreclosure on your record. That's very problematic. So, so you just had to bite the bullet. We were and just structurally trapped. On. And if I wanted to stay in the profession, a lot of people walked away from their mortgages because it mm -hmm. was a strategy, right? Like make it the bank's problem. It's upside down. Fine, you won't work with me. I'll stop paying, and then you'll come back to the table. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't strong arm or do any of those tactics because, because of your profession. Because it would be professionally damning. Mm -hmm. So. Now, we weren't going to do that anyway. Right. But that's that's just sort of an, an honor thing. Like if you shake somebody's hand and say you're going to keep your word, you got to do I, it. I think we're seeing it now in this moment, right? A lot of people stepped out of work. They decided to work from home. They relocated. And now they're getting called back to work. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago mm -hmm. with Amazon bringing employees oh, back into so the building. Let's do this because this is super interesting. And I'm I'm just looking at the clock and I'm going, you know what? This is totally worthy of the next segment because mm -hmm. this whole trend. Let's let's come back to this idea of the we're in work, it now. Recover like return to work, 
and COVID and what that did. Okay. But we got to take a break. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. We got True Wealth on News Radio 929 FM at 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. We're back. We're live. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show where uh, if you missed it, you know, grab the podcast. It's on our webpage at LittlejohnFS and it's on Apple and stuff. You should just subscribe and get the podcast because... Uh, you know, we talk about stuff the whole show, and if you you can only listen to a little bit of it, there's more. Yeah, right. If you can listen to the whole thing, you should listen again because I'm sure there's gems in there. Right? We're mm-hmm. mining, mining for diamonds here. What were we mining for today, David? Well, you know, I, I think I hijacked it because I've been at this real estate conference yeah. and started talking about that, and then, uh, you know, I you I was asking you, mm-hmm. like, so you're you're sort of snooping around the market right your potential yeah, buyer sure you know you given the right circumstances yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's on your radar i know that i am a real estate investor although kind of different mm-hmm. right a lot of my real estate investments where possible are in more resort style markets where we want to assemble short-term rental portfolios like airbnb you guys kind of heard that so that's the thing that that we've been looking at uh, and then the the question was like well i told the story about we got stuck in our home back mm-hmm. in 2008 when the markets collapsed and we were hoping to sell and it was like we were way upside down uh, and then it took 12 years before we were able to ultimately move out of our home and <laughs> you started to say well what was 2008 all about and how have things changed and you know the real estate market's got this weird backdrop right now where we first mm-hmm. we you know lowered rates and had a feeding frenzy of demand that drove prices super high and then we raised rates which increases makes it super hard to afford Yet but we demand. didn't get rid of the demand. In no, fact, the now what are we doing? Well, now we're increasing it almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the demand hasn't really waned like we thought it would. Yeah, and you were. I guess the question was, what happens? You're seeing this go back to work trend, right? Yeah, COVID that's where really we left pushed off. Us out. Mm-hmm. You started to ask that question. So, what's on your mind well, about this? What's on my mind is we're seeing this need for people to go back to work, and they have displaced themselves. We saw a huge outflow out of California where people were moving to Florida, Texas, Montana, at these crazy high rates. And a lot of these big companies have had it. They're like, you got to come back and work in office. These people are having to try and go back. But the problem, I think, that some people are running into is the fact that Rates are now higher, and we are starting to see the housing market slow a little bit. We are starting to see prices come down a little bit. I'm looking into the future more and saying, what happens if you can't sell that property because you bought it at such a high price that no one wants to take on that amount with that high interest rate? Yeah, and market rash, Mm -hmm. you ever heard that that term? Yeah. that's and if if you've never heard that before it's just that idea that you list something too high and then you have to start lowering it and and people start to wonder if there's something wrong mm-hmm. like oh wow they listed it way high and now it's not selling and then the listing starts to get old mm-hmm. and then people start to go like well something must be up with this thing because it's been there a long time and it was priced too high it's like people must have looked at it and thought it was something jacked up right and so they just and, and it's 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 why it's important to understand the market and how you price it as a seller, right? And I'm not even an agent for this stuff. I'm just agents have told me like you don't want to, you get market rash if you do this. It's the mm. equivalent of making the property look worse than it is by mispricing it out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, you don't want you don't want that. But yeah, I think I think a lot of people that got into the top of this market stand to get probably right. pushed around. I mean, you 
you want to go get 7% plus money right now when people were pricing it like the money was 3%? Yeah. I mean, the cost of the same house right now has gone up so much. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The A multiple of like how much is the house much can price you compared to your income? Oh, okay. Right? And like back in the 70s, mm-hmm. it was four times annual income right. to buy your house. And today it's close to seven times annual income. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's almost double what it was in 1970. Like, so the affordability of houses is at like a, a really radical spot nationwide. My my question is, is where is the breaking point? Right, like at what point? Just before the stop sign. That's perfect. I love <laughs> There's that. There's the so. breaking point. <laughs> wah wah. <laughs> yeah, but no. Like, at what point do people? S- where when does the demand wane? Where do we start to see? real estate kind of hit that wall where people aren't buying home prices are really coming down at a quick rate. Where is that? And yeah. well, and here's maybe the trick of it. Uh, I mean, real demand, right? I mm-hmm. think there's this desire regardless of price, but then there's the mm-hmm. structural or the, the actual amount of money that somebody has in their pocket is just not enough. Well, and we're just talking residential. Think about commercial. What are the implications here? Yeah. Well, commercial, uh, yeah, separate animal, but I see a lot of commercial property just getting wrecked right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's just getting And that's a cocktail of many things. I mean, one of those pieces being not all companies are having employees go back to work. Some companies are okay with having employees be virtual, spread out across the U.S., and they're like, you know what? That lease, we're saving money. We're, you know, we're we're capturing more on that bottom dollar, so we're gonna give up that lease and we'll, we'll be virtual. And I'm thinking about the pressure on retail right now. Think about how, like Macy's, we talked yeah. about that, didn't we? So, maybe we did. Maybe well, the we massive didn't. theft for the, one. Yeah. And, and so, um, I'm just gonna. It's not to be mean about this, right? Because it's hard when. This was this jewel when I was growing up at Portland, as an example. But I think that a lot of metropolitan centers in this country are suffering from this right now. And um, it's this homelessness epidemic that's also been uh, highly correlated with the crime epidemics in urban, like high-density urban areas, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you go downtown Portland, and there's a bunch of commercial properties where They've just boarded up stores. Mm-hmm. They've just they're they're not profitable anymore. So they're just shutting them down, and those leases as they expire, they're not going to renew. No, because no one wants to do business in a super high crime right. And rate so there's area. massive demand destruction mm-hmm. because of the the lack of crime enforcement, law enforcement. Right? It's, there's, it's just crime and filth. And I think it's funny because everyone always just points to the senators and the politicians. Fix this, fix this, and I'm yeah. like. Is that something that you can fix with more legislation, or do we need to start fixing stuff? Well, I mean, we're at now home. into uh, so this is a very advanced concept investment-wise when you talk about the way the government invests. Because first of all, governments don't amortize costs the way that mm-hmm. you're you do in your own household, right? You know, if they build a building, it's not like they say, "Well, this building's good for the next fifty years, and we're going to depreciate on our balance sheet." They just build the building, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't depreciate aircraft carriers. They just build them and spend billions of dollars, right? right. Okay, now they we just have an write carrier. checks until and we get dumped. funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just sort of how these massive—they don't have to save happen. up for it. <laughs> that's the difference. Right? It's kind of wild, but that's the way the government sort of runs things, and um, 
if you think about the investment there versus when you say, well, we're not going to enforce certain laws because it's not cost effective to do so. Mm-hmm. But what's the cost of not enforcing it? Right? Ooh, that's, and, that's the question of the day right there. I hope listeners really caught on to what you just said because that really is what it comes down to, right? Like we can cut budgets and cut spending on police and let people just do what they want because we're too afraid to offend anyone or we're too afraid to take action. And then at the end of the day, if you get mayhem, you get crime in the streets, what does that cost you? What does that cost the average? Anarchy is expensive. It's very expensive. But it's the bill isn't due on sale. No. It's due because the the the, dam- see the cultural yeah. damage that it creates like like really this and I think we've really been seeing this for decades right I'm, this is all it right. creates it's too late we're in it now uh, but I just got to say the we're point we're in the weeds yeah right but. which is when you start to strip accountability away mm-hmm. from the individual culturally like like on a broad basis if you you kind of say like well you know, somebody commits a crime and you go, well, they had a rough childhood, so we're going to blame their parents instead of the person. Oh, just kicking the can down the road. Well, or just shifting the blame to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, if if the whole idea is it's just too painful to accept the responsibility myself, let me make it somebody else's fault. Then blame it on a politician. Who will blame it on something else? Who will blame it on climate change? And then it'll all be back into the blame it on somebody flying a jet. And, and you go... How did we get so far away from the fact that somebody just committed a crime and we're trying to it's sort a lack, of shift the blame away? It's a lack of accountability. And and there therein lies the issue, right? Is that the lack of enforcement has a cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like anything does. Everything, like when you spend money, you've also had an opportunity cost. I put money here so it can't go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's always an opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of not enforcing is really problematic. Because over time, what you essentially do is, even though you have laws on the books, if you're not going to enforce them, the laws are meaningless. Right? Like There's an old expression, right? Is it a foul if the referee doesn't blow the whistle? Hmm. Okay? And the yep. answer is, well, yes, it is. But if the referee didn't see it, then you think you'd get away with it. So what happens is you're the gonna... game gets dirtier, mm-hmm. right? And then you've, if you've ever seen a game get rough because the officials don't blow the whistle. It just turns into a boxing right? match, not a basketball. And what happens eventually? People get hurt, mm-hmm. right? And what's happening now? Crime does have victims, right? The person directly involved, but the social cost of not doing these things escalates. Right. Right. And so I think we have to consider the idea that not enforcing the law because you're like, well, this person is in ends up costing the system. Well, maybe the system needs to be addressed in a way that that is not such a ridiculous cost. I mean, I remember this is probably 10 years ago, but a presentation uh, it shall remain nameless. But I, you know, I was in an organization here in Douglas County and the cost of housing a homeless person was seventy four thousand dollars a year. And the median income for a family in Oregon at the time was $57,000. Crime has a cost. Well, but, and, and in this case, it was homelessness. And I just thought, okay, what a disaster of a system, though, where the person that, I mean, it costs so much for the mm-hmm. person that doesn't, that, that is, is in the anarchy loop, right? I mean, homelessness isn't just the person that's homeless. It affects everybody else involved, too, peripherally. Yes. It does. And so 
this is not a, I'm not dispassionate to the person that's homeless. That's not what's going on. It's that you have to see beyond just the person that's homeless and look at the impact systemically to everybody. This is going to sound cold, but empathy only goes so far. Well, and there's a social contract, whether you like it or not. And you can't just give a middle finger to the social contract. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you do, and enough people do that, then the social contract ceases to exist. And now you're back to anarchy, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there are real serious costs to allowing your social contract to degrade. Now, you can, it can evolve, but it needs to do so in a healthy way. And, and the healthy way is not to abandon accountability. Golly, we are deep in the weeds. But you know what? Someone needed to say it, and you heard it here. Yeah. I mean, we'll say it because, again, it's, it's not about whether or not we care about people and we don't want solutions. And I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just saying it's – I mean, if I'm throwing rocks at ideas, not people. Well, you know, I think it needs to be said because, you know, I've been on Facebook and I've read the comments. You see the videos of people stealing stuff. You see the bedlam. And – I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone comment, well, you know what? It was a big corporation. They can afford it. And they're the ones that are profiteering off the middleman. So you know what? Good on that person. They need it more than the corporation does. And I'm so, so sick of yeah. that. That's so out of touch with reality. Well, in that case, why don't we take homeless people and put them in your home? Right? Yep. If that's your, your your take on this as well, this homeless person needs your home more than you do or needs to share it with you, right? So we'll yeah. just compulsorily do this. Yeah. The word. We will compel you to do this, mm -hmm. right? You have to take the person in. It's like, wait a second. That's not cool. It's like, why? Well, you're pushing it on the corporation right? or the big business. And that's, and that's yeah. what it is. It's like it's blame shifting, right? Yeah. It's the whole, well, the corporation's evil, so that makes it okay. It's like, no, it really doesn't. Even if they are evil... Right. Do if, two if wrongs evil, make a right? Don't when did buy we get it? Yeah. That solves the problem with the capitalist society. It's like, don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Buy it from another vendor. Right. Go support a small business if yeah. you hate the corporation. Problem solved, right? Yeah. Evil corporation. I mean, come on. Most corporations yeah, right. like, are fewer than 10 it. employees. Mm -hmm. Right? The majority of them. Right? I mean, most companies, like, there are a ton of corporations without, with one person. Well, right. they're a small business. That's different. So you can't. I mean, like, how many angels can dance on the head well, of this pin? Well, look at it this way, too. These corporations often run on pretty small profit margins. Yeah, they do. So guess what happens when there's looting and stealing? They're going, if they want to continue to even be a company, they are going to have to raise the price, and then you will pay more. Right. So because if you're expensive. okay with it. You're also okay with continued inflation, which means you're also okay with paying more on your mortgage at eight, nine, ten percent. Right. Like it ha the it has to stop somewhere. That Where do you want it to stop? Or do you just want it to keep going and it just runs itself into the ground? Right. Social contracts are for social order. Yes. When you do not have social order and your social contract fails, you can expect the other systems to start failing around it. Absolutely. Right. And and you, if you didn't believe me, all I will say is when everything went like when they had Chaz, right, that autonomous zone in Seattle mm -hmm. and people started murdering each other. What'd they do? They Shut called it down. 911. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Quick. Call society to fix this because our anarchy is not working. What a shocker. <laughs>
All right, we got on that. We got to take a break. So oh man, yeah, we're gonna do we that. Do. We're gonna pile. You know what? When we come back, I think we got some fun data too. Maybe we look at something sure. fun. What do you say? Okay. All right, we'll do that and more when we get. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you got True Well on News Radio ninety three nine FM and twelve forty KQEN. So uh, yeah, we're live. Just okay, so you know. I'm ready to go. Good because uh, we've I don't been know what we're we've been fired about. up all show. And I didn't realize I was. <laughs> well, that's the effect of being around me for too long, right? Like, I'm just going to press that's all the buttons. Poke and, the bear. Poke the bear. Yeah, <laughs> just adding fuel to the... Oh, uh, man. Just a little tiny spark. It all goes up in flames. Well, it is late summer in the Pacific Northwest. Fire danger still pretty high. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Although, boy, fall is definitely in the air. Like, it, you notice that? Yes, uh, I love the fall time. Well, yeah, I know that you're a real outdoorsman, and mm-hmm. that just the chill in the morning changes things. It does. Uh, it's wild to me because uh, I have been getting up early to do like a workout before um, going. To, oh, by the way, those of you that have been tracking the 75 hard journey, I think today's day 43, mm-hmm. still grinding. Um, and now I question my sanity. 43 days in, I'm like, people are like, oh, is your energy amazing? You feel great? I'm like, man, I feel like I'm just on this ride that won't end. <laughs> really? It's not bad, but it's it's so time. It requires a lot of time. I mean, 90 minutes of workouts. So you take two 45-minute workout blocks a day, mm-hmm. and you kind of – it. even if it's barbells, it just – your life has to get structured around that. Mm-hmm. And it's challenging – when you when you know i had not realized how much pliability my schedule requires cuz in the service industry you're constantly morphing around other people's calendars which in case you guys were unaware matt and i are in the service industry yeah <laughs> and yep. and it's just right i mean how many times is it like oh we have an appointment and it slides a little bit or oh it has to get rescheduled and we're just constantly playing tetris with our calendar my mind doesn't naturally revolve around time right Mm -hmm. like and ever since being in this industry i've had to like kind of train myself to be like hey there's a calendar you kind of have to check it all the time it was it's not in my dna like my mind doesn't revolve around like what time is it it's just you know Mm -hmm. but Man, when you're in the industry, you have to be really aware. Well, the fact that we're on the West Coast, right? Because the mm-hmm. markets wake up early. They close yeah. midday. Yeah. So we kind of – we have things that are time sensitive, so you have to sort of be aware of that. I mean, it's not like we're the airlines where it's like, well, you better close the door and push back from the gate because you got a place to be. It's not that kind of thing. But it's close. I mean, we know when our clients are coming to, to see us or we're hopping on a – you know, some kind of Zoom call or whatever your yeah. weapon of choice for video conferencing. So I, I want to loop us back a little bit to where we started the show because cool. we started around housing prices and it really kind of centered around these rising interest rates, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit today on, you know, we, we've seen how it's impacted housing. A lot of people don't really understand what a bond is. And we know that now banks are offering higher interest rates, but Mm -hmm. I kind of want you to talk to the, to the person that wants to understand bonds a little bit more, maybe. Cool. And maybe talk about how, how did we go from 
really, really low rates for a lot of years to now, you know, higher rates being offered. How did inflation kind of play a part in that? Kind of walk us through that a little bit because things now are a lot different than they were two years ago. Sure. Yeah. I like this setup where Matt can like go have a beer and a sandwich now. Mm -hmm. It's like, will you just go on a monologue for me? Yeah. And the answer is no, I'm dragging you with me. Okay, I'm ready for this. Cool. So first and foremost, what is a bond? Bond is kind of like a loan, right? Where you're agreeing to a certain period of time where someone else has access to your money. And for that, they are going to pay you some interest along the way. Yeah. A bond is absolutely a loan, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. just... We call it a bond. Now, what are features of a bond? Like, what do, what do pretty much well, all bonds have in common? And and this is sort of common for a bond or a note. Maturity. Or a treasury, yeah. A maturity okay. is a really fancy way of saying, at this time and date, you're going to get that money back. Yeah. An end date of repayment. Exactly. With a balloon payment, typically. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So, I give you the loan, and you give me my money back well, and at so, this point. And some of them work differently, right? Like you can loan your money out and get paid on a monthly basis, and then you get that full amount back when the maturity date hits. Um, or you like a treasury bill, right? Uh, you might interest twice a year. Yeah, you could be semi annually. Okay, so that's the frequency of right. interest payment. Right. Yes. So there's a lot of different ways that that works. Okay, and. They because these are financial instruments, everybody can get cute. Okay, but yeah, if you consider so, let's break down just at a high level what they are. Okay, first, it's a loan. You are the bank. Mm -hmm. You're giving the money to somebody else so that they can have access to your money until it matures. At which point they give it back. Right. Okay. What are your risks? Well. As it's, a lender, as a well, bank, what are you worried let's about? Let's make it really simple terms because this is what I kind of wanted to talk about today, making it to where everyone can understand this yes. because most people don't, I feel like. So what happens if I go out and I agree to loan someone my money for 5% interest and then the Fed goes out and raises rates two or three times? What might happen? It depends. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. It depends because a lot of people mistakenly believe that the Fed sets interest rates. That is a big mistake. Okay. Yes. The Fed influences interest rates primarily on the very short-term money, mm -hmm. right? But typically speaking, long-term money is also impacted by short-term money. And it goes something like this. If I want to borrow money from you, Matt, mm -hmm. the first thing you're going to need to figure out is, will I pay you back? Okay. Let's just assume you've always paid everyone back yeah. your entire so life. So that's, that's your risk as a lender. Mm -hmm. That's your default risk. My likelihood of paying you back. The higher my likelihood I pay you back, the lower the probability of default. This is where a lot of people get tripped up because like the U.S. government, for example has a really good history of paying people back. Because they have a printing press. Right, but what about the company who wants to borrow your money? Well, what about your, you know, sort of slightly less reliable second cousin, twice removed roommate who you're pretty sure has a substance abuse problem and is coming to you asking to borrow money, okay? 
I doubt. What do you think about that potential? You're probably not going to want to lend them money just the same as you might not want to lend a company money who's about to go bankrupt yeah. or so, something along those lines, right? The like idea if, is the higher the risk exactly. of the borrower, the higher you're going to require somebody pay you interest in order to incentivize you. Right. The chance and that the they default on paying you Yeah, back. the shorter term, you'll loan them money, too. It's like, well... I'll loan you $100 overnight if you give me $200 tomorrow, and you're going to have to give me your car keys. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll do it. It's like, I just got to go to the bank and get this money, and I'll be right back with it. It's like, okay, well, give me or give me your PlayStation, right? I can hawk that for a couple hundred bucks. And so right. you give me your PlayStation, I'll loan you $100. Now you're basically a private pawn shop, right? Mm-hmm. But that's how a securitized loan would work. You got right. the security of the PlayStation. Uh, in the financial world, we assess bonds by their credit rating. Mm-hmm. So the higher the credit rating, the safer we feel. Now, what influences the amount of interest that you're going to receive? It right. can be determined by a lot of different right. things. But primarily, it's determined at the point that the bond is issued. So when the loan originates, Correct. Yeah. you set the rate. There's, yeah, it's so stated at example, the beginning. Right? Yeah. Hey, 5% interest for how long? Right. Let's say it's five years. Okay, I'll give you 5% for five years. And you go, okay, is that good relative to what else I could buy in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could get 7% money for five years, I'd probably get that if it's the same credit rating. You're kind of hinting at something here that um, we're kind of in unusual times because the yield curve is inverted. And that's okay. just a fancy way. Oh, I see the headphones yeah, yeah. coming out. See, he's gonna, you went straight to the yield curve. And it, gonna, so I said gonna, fancy term four. Yeah. I, I'm, but I'm you're going to have to find out yeah. after the break what that means. Yeah. I'm going to head you off. I like that. Because, yes, you say yield curve and all of our listeners' eyes roll back in their head for a second. And I go, hold on. It's easier to understand than you think. We'll unpack that, and then we're going to leave you with some really simple understanding of bonds. But we've got to take our last break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True All. On News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right. I think we're back for the final segment of the True Well Show, Matt. Okay. Well, guess what, David? What? I'm ready to wrap this thing up. Good. Uh, explain. So you drop yield curve on our listeners. Yeah. Everybody goes... Wait, wait, what? And so we're yeah, talking because bonds. Like, think give about me the it rundown. Like this. What yeah. the heck is this? So, David, if I said to you, I'm going to loan you money for uh, the period of one year, right? Versus what if I say I'm going to loan you money over the course of 20 years? In a normal circumstance, you would expect to get a little bit higher rate to lock up your money for 20 yeah. years you than want, one you year. Want to, you want to see me make it super easy for our listeners? Yeah, do it. Check this out. A CD at a bank is you loaning money to the bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, a one-year CD pays less than a two-year CD, pays less than a three-year CD, pays less than a five-year CD, pays typically. less than a ten. Typically, for a typical yield curve, and the yield curve is if you drew a graph of each of those inverted times means upside down. <laughs> well, no, in this case, so if you if you drew a graph of those CDs, you said, well, in one year I make this much, and then in two years I make this, and you made you drew those points on a graph, mm-hmm. it would make a curve. Right. Right? It'd just be a nice little curve, like the top of a wing of an airplane or something. Yep. Well, an inverted curve is when long-term rates have lower interest than short-term rates. Right. Where 
Like, why are you getting paid less to lock your money up for 10 years than you are for one year? It's because... That's not normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us, Matt? It tells us that the market is thinking that rates are going to go down out in the future. And like why 10, would 15. it think that? Well, because the current rates are unsustainable, right? That's oh, but, really... But, but, but I mean, why? What, that's like underlying, what, uh, what do you think happens in the economy to cause that? Inflation. Well, inflation, though, how do you fight inflation? By taking money out of the system, yeah, by so raising the rates. Raising rates. Yes. So if you're raising rates in the short term, what do you expect to happen to the economy? You would expect it to slow down. Yes. Because you're taking money out of the system. Yes. Yep. Right. And this may be confusing to people. Think about but, it. If yeah. you have money in your pocket, right, and you want to spend it, what if someone comes by and says, I'm going to offer you a bunch of interest – short-term interest to let me borrow that money you're going to take it out of your pocket and hand it over and say okay i want all that interest and that's what we're seeing people well, do not just that it's the opposite too if you wanted to borrow money to go do a development project mm -hmm. it's going to cost way more exactly right so it's what happens is when rates go up Money comes out of the system. We've, we don't have time to go into this really deeply. It's because we have what's known as a fractional reserve system, yep. meaning banks do not have a dollar on deposit. Like if you put $100,000 in the bank, they don't put $100,000 in the vault. They lend some of it out to other people. Mm -hmm. A lot okay? of it out. <laughs> so, so that they keep a fraction of it back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, when rates are low, they lend lots of money out. Okay. And so that puts more money in the economy. When rates are high, they loan less out. So it takes money back out of the right, system. Right, because how are they making their profits? Off the spread. Exactly. Between the cost of getting the money from you and the cost of loaning it to somebody else. So economic activity tends to decrease, and the yield curve is suggesting that the economy will slow well, down. Well, and you just mentioned the spread, right? And that's mm -hmm. why every time I walk past a sign that says, come in today and lock up your money for a year for 3.2%. And it's like, well, if the treasury rates at 5.3 and they're loaning you at 3.2, look at the spread that they're making. Yeah. And I, I often look at that and think, well, that's marketing. They're just trying to make you believe that that's a good deal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's finding fixed income deals is challenging. And, it is. And it's it's an interesting market in and of itself. And, and so many people think it's simple. That's what really actually kind of rubs my gears a little bit. And just I'm like, ah, it's not as simple as you think. Because yeah. it changes. What happens six months from now if rates are way different? Right. Now, now you're scratching your head and saying, well, should I still be here or not? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think financial advisors can be underrated in yeah. some terms. Because you think it's easy today, but is it easy tomorrow? Right. Well, and fixed income is always kind of tricky. I mean, we mm -hmm. really had to uh, work with our investors three, four years ago when rates were so, so low that there was just no opportunity. If you were in fixed income, you were in real trouble. Mm -hmm. And we actually saw losses in bond portfolios as rates went higher. Okay, Today, we've seen bonds are significantly cheaper than they've been for quite some time. That doesn't mean that they're that you should go buy them. I'm just telling you where we're at in history, right? I'm not making recommendations. I'm just telling you where we're at. But looking at that backdrop, if rates were to come back down, in theory, bond prices would rise. Mm -hmm. Okay, But the high rates create all kinds of structural issues in our economy because it, it prevents the existing mortgage holder from wanting to sell because they don't want to refinance much higher. It makes it harder for ex new people to get mortgages. It makes So real estate gets 
knocked around and does the, pr the price hasn't dropped yet, but commercial may. And now we have a problem with collateral in the banking system. And what happens to regional banks that are overexposed to commercial real estate if we have a collapse in, real, in commercial real estate values? Right? I mean, there, there are a lot of structural problems that ripple through the system, you know, and I, we don't know what it will be yet. What we know is that it rent looks cheaper than buying right now on paper yep. in a lot of places. And I don't know how long that lasts, but where we're at today. David, what do you say to the person who's like, gosh, this is a lot. You know, I'm stressed out about things. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I need a second opinion. Okay. So, and this is the subtle plug for us, which that's cool. It's the end of the show. But I, I'm going to tell people whether or not you become an expert in this isn't the end all be all. Right. right. But the, the trick is get help navigating it if you're uncomfortable with it or you lack the confidence or ability. Right we would be happy to help you. So give our office a call if you're trying to navigate the fixed income market, figure out what's appropriate for your investment, risk tolerance, and so forth. How do they reach us, Matt? 541-375-0898. All right. Uh, you can also go to the website. All that information is there if you just want to kind of, you know, you know, you want to figure it out first before you talk to a real person. We need to sign this. Yeah, Little yeah. John, Little John, Little, little John. John. We're out of time for now, so thanks as always for listening in. We'll catch you on the flip side. Until then, I'm David Little John. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.